Trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Good morning, everybody. It's Friday, February 16th, 5.31 a.m. Central Time. Grain markets are mixed this morning. Uh, Matt Bennett is here with uh, Mackenzie and I this morning. The markets are going to be closed Monday for President's Day, so they can't go down Monday, which is um, nice, I suppose. Let's start off with this USDA, uh, I'll call it a report in quotes. USDA released new crop supply and demand projections yesterday as part of its annual Ag Outlook Forum. While there were no major surprises compared to pre-report estimates, the projections confirmed the idea of a bearish U.S. supply and demand situation for corn and soybeans. USDA projects that U.S. corn and soybean ending stocks will build substantially following the 24-25 marketing year, following an already bearish 23-24 situation. All right, Matthew, what sticks out to you here? I mean, the acreage numbers, they're they're wrong. They're going to be adjusted, and they won't get a feel for them until June. They're going to be adjusted in some way, shape, or form. But just bigger picture, you look at this. What are your thoughts? I mean, you know, my, my initial thoughts are that whenever you have a two-and-a-half carry on corn or a four – 35 carry on soybeans, you look back historically at what those equate to price-wise. Yes, I understand inflation and whatnot, but bottom line is they don't equate to, for instance, $450 to $5 corn, and they don't usually equate to $11 plus soybeans. So uh, the stocks are plentiful. Uh, there's no doubt that there's more than enough acreage to go around. 87 halves fairly rich on soybeans. I do think that they are a little short on uh, crush. I think crush demand is going to be good this year. It'd be better than what they're uh, currently projecting. I think it'll be better uh, yet next year. Those things are good. Uh, but bottom line is right now, uh, there's really nothing too friendly about uh, any of the numbers they put out yesterday. Okay, here's the stocks to use ratio charts. And I threw in the implied projection for a new crop. And for corn, you're talking a U.S. ending stocks to use ratio of 17.2%, which is the highest since 2006, if realized. So you're talking the most bearish or burdensome supply and demand situation since essentially like before the ethanol boom or the very infancy of the ethanol boom. And when you look at soybeans, it's not as bad, but you're as bad or, or the worst since the 1920 marketing year, which was still associated with the trade war. And even to arrive at these super bearish numbers, USDA had to, um, they're, they're projecting larger demand across the board. For corn, they've got uh, larger feed and residual projected, larger ethanol projected, larger exports projected. For soybeans, larger crush projected, larger exports projected. So even to arrive at these super bearish numbers, they're assuming larger demand, which I'm not sure is a guarantee. I don't think it's a guarantee, but I think on beans, if I was going to pick one of two, it's probably the one that I would say uh, would be more likely uh, on their demand projections. I think that actually uh, crush will be even better than what they said. I mean, the one place I would uh, maybe call into question, I don't think that our export program is going to set the world on fire. I mean, this was the 18th straight year. The Brazilians plan more soybeans. Next year will be the 19th. I'm relatively certain uh, they're pretty much taking over as far as the world export market goes goes yes we still have a piece of the pie but it gets smaller every year and i don't think the usda is correct in their assumption on exports 
Okay, so the new crop um, export or the new crop soybean uh, demand situation looks like this according to the forum. Crush is going to be up 100 million, 2.4 billion is the new crop projection. I would uh, I would take the over on that. I think it'll be higher, but they've got a 155 million bushel increase in exports penciled, which I think is going to be really tough to do given what's going on in Brazil. So I think you could be in a situation where maybe as it relates to soybeans, maybe they're too low on crush and too high on exports. Um, I'm not sure, but guys, this just yesterday's deal. It, it just is, is additional bearish context. None of the stuff is a guarantee. We know the yield numbers are just a shot in the dark. Even the acreage numbers are, are far from certain. It's a starting point and uh, it's, it's just, it's not a good look. NOPA released January crush data on Thursday. NOPA members processed 185.8 million bushels of soybeans in January, down 4.9% from December, but up 3.8% from January of last year. The crush fell below the average trade estimate of 189.9 million bushels, but was still the largest crush on record for the month. January crush was impacted by frigid winter weather that slowed plant operations and hindered truck and rail transportation. End of month soybean oil stocks in January increased to 1.5 billion pounds. Stocks were up 10.8% from the end of December and were the largest end of month supply since July. I believe that um, USDA may be a little light in its crush projection for this current marketing year. They've got 2.3 billion bushels penciled, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was closer to 2.35, 2.4, which uh, would help. Oh, absolutely, and I agree with you. And uh, Kenzie said it correctly. You know, there's no doubt that uh, the cold weather in January probably impacted this number, biggest we've ever seen for this month. I think that's going to be a pretty common theme whenever things are running along smoothly. As of course, as you add crush plants. Uh, you're going to continue to crush more soybeans. So, you know, I think that they're light. I, I still think they're light for this year. I think that next year could be a pleasant surprise as well. I mean, with that being said, though, uh, it needs to be, you know. Um, but, yeah, crush margins are still pretty good. They're nothing like they were last fall. Uh, but they're still good enough that if I'm an originator, i got to make sure I don't run out of soybeans. Let's go back to the Outlook form real quick. I threw this chart together. So this illustrates what's going on when it comes to demand for soybeans grown in the in the U.S. Typically, you know, it's it's kind of been like a 50-50 split up until the last few years. It, it's been like, you know, almost half crush, half exports. And now you're getting to a point here. If you guys are watching on YouTube, these yellow bars are crush. You're seeing crush just stair step higher every year while exports are being reduced. And again, that export projection, which is is the last bar on the right here for, for new crop, may be a little high given what's going on in Brazil and the uh, lack of, of Chinese purchases versus other years. This is going to continue to be the trend. Crush is going to continue to stair step higher and exports, maybe not so much. Absolutely. You know, in the past, there's been a lot of times, Joe, as you know, we've exported pretty much half of the U.S. soybeans. And so, you know, as Brazil continues to take more of that world export share, uh, the nice thing about crushing more beans domestically, using more beans domestically, of course, we're going to probably have to find a home for uh, maybe some of the soybean meal, uh, getting the export program there a little thicker than what we've been in the past. But uh, bottom line is, I would rather rely on ourselves uh, as far as our domestic usage of soybeans. Uh, to me, it's a healthier environment. If the government's going to stand behind renewable fuels, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that that uh, puts us in a little better position as producers uh, to not get involved in some sort of trade war or some, uh, you know, be so heavily relying on exports. So uh, this trend isn't uh, near as concerning to me as, as maybe what some people uh, have led uh, others to believe they feel it is. 
It's pretty crazy how it's changed just over the last few years. I mean, as recently as, as the 2020, 2021 marketing year, we were exporting more beans than we were crushing. And now it's going in exactly the opposite direction. U.S. soybean export sales increased last week, but remained poor. Net soybean sales of 13 million bushels were up 4% from the previous week, but down 23% from the prior four-week average. China was the largest soybean buyer. Net corn sales of 51 million bushels were up 7% from the previous week and up 13% from the prior four-week average. Mexico was the largest corn buyer for the week. Net wheat sales were reported at 13 million bushels, down 8% from the previous week and down 25% from the prior four-week average. The Philippines were the largest wheat buyer for the week. Here's the one thing that stuck out to me in the export sales report. Unknown destinations canceled 463,000 metric tons of soybeans. I don't know if it's China or who it is. It's probably China. Matt, you and I talked about this like... Uh, several weeks ago about how, you know what, if this Brazilian crop is decent, some of these flash sales we're seeing in soybeans that we saw, I don't know if it was a month or two ago, maybe they'll cancel some of them. And that may be starting, which is not a good look. No, it's it's very possible. But, it, you know, at the same time, I continue to hear, I would say, disappointing yield reports out of Brazil and yeah. in many areas. So, you know, I, there's still a lot to be figured out there. I know a lot of people speak resolute as to that they know the size of this Brazilian crop. You know, I don't know that I can say within uh, six or eight million tons right now what I think it is. It's, it's such a, a massive area that's been dry. But no doubt. I mean, it's very interesting to see China coming in and buying beans. You know, you look at those FOB prices of beans right now. Uh, I don't know. We're out of the market. I mean, that's all there is to it. I mean, we're 50 bucks a, a ton out of the market. And so, you know, um, I guess I was I was shocked to see that. It's nice to see that. Uh, but if they're turning around canceling on the other side of things, I mean, unknown, I'm just going to assume that's China. Obviously, we don't know 100%, but I thought corn sales looked awfully good. And uh, corn just keeps chugging along. It's it, It's a good thing to see. So corn sales are good. And depending on how you're going to do your pace analysis, we're probably on track to hit the USDA's target. The soybean thing is troubling because China is listed as a buyer of 414,000. But if, if that was in fact China that canceled, they were net cancelers on the week, if you want to put it that way. Um, yep. It's it's not a good look. After a U.S. district court ruled to discontinue the use of dicamba-based herbicides last week, the EPA announced on Wednesday that farmers can use existing supplies of dicamba. Uh, farmers are also allowed to use dicamba that has been sold to them but may not yet be in their possession. The EPA granted this exception due to the millions of gallons of dicamba products that were already on hand or being shipped for use this season. Environmental activists argue that dicamba herbicides shouldn't be used because of their tendency to drift and damage other crops that aren't resistant. Okay, Matt, so I'm no agronomist, but what are the um, agronomic impacts of no dicamba, not this year, but next year? Well, here's the thing, Joe. I mean, there's a lot of folks that are planning uh, Roundup Ready Extend beans, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so let's just put it this way. Some beans you can spray, uh, spray dicamba on, some beans you can't. Uh, the genetics with the beans that we've been spraying dicamba on for us have been our best beans the last several years. Uh, it could have an impact. I don't think it's going to be a massive impact. It definitely could have an impact upon yield. Uh, the thing I would say is that, uh, you know, who knows if this is the end-all be-all. I mean, obviously, there are people with a lot of money invested uh, in a dicamba program that uh, I would think are going to fight this in some way, shape, or form. 
if this is the end all be all though to me i think it definitely changes the scope uh, of planting soybeans uh, the dicamba beans were very similar in my opinion uh, to kind of cleaning up bean fields like roundup was back whenever you know i was a, a much younger guy uh, but the bottom line is is that it it just it, it changes a lot of things genetically it changes uh, you know some of the people that are selling soybeans you know how they're going to look at things moving forward so it's concerning to me uh was there merit you know in some ways i'm sure a lot of people will feel that way we'd never had an issue with it i've never personally had an issue with it and we are huge fans of dicamba beans i will say uh, but at the same time i mean we may have to look at something different at this point this is probably not the end of the story there's probably going to be appeals and all that sort of stuff uh we had pete meyer in our uh premium video yesterday we talked mostly about the outlook for him but he mentioned this and and he thought that you know if this actually does go away you may need to adjust your yield model slightly because uh it's such a big deal i i agree and our personal experience on our farm is that you know our dicamba uh, beans the genetics that we're able to get with those beans um, you know, I've outperformed other beans, uh, two to three bushel pretty consistently, sometimes more. And so, you know, uh, how many people are actually planting dicamba beans? Though? And it is a pretty good chunk of growers over the last several years. But I would agree with Pete. That's pretty solid analysis that uh, it could have an impact on your national yield uh, to the tune of, yeah, a couple bushels potentially. I, it's going to be a it's going to be a pretty big deal. Yeah. All right. So USDA released weekly drought monitor data yesterday. Temperatures across the Corn Belt were warmer than normal last week. Precipitation was limited across the region. Drought conditions improved throughout Kentucky and the state is now drought free. Conditions also improved in Southeast Missouri. Temperatures across the High Plains were also above average last week. And like the Corn Belt, they saw very little precipitation. Drought conditions improved in Northwest Kansas and also in the Southeast portion of the state. So when we look at the percentage of U.S. areas experiencing drought, corn, 26%, soybeans, 25%, winter wheat, 12%, spring wheat, 22%, and cattle country, 14%. Matt, you and I were on the U.S. Farm Report panel in Louisville at the Farm Machinery Show yesterday, and I think we had a couple questions about drought, like what if this drought persists? What's the impact on planting? What if it's there's there's still a drought into June and July? Are the funds going to react to it? Uh, what are your thoughts, generally speaking, about the drought situation in, in Iowa, uh, places like that especially? Yeah, I mean, as we dipped our toe in the water of that discussion, I asked the question, I mean, how many folks are experiencing some level of drought? You're uneasy about how dry it is. And I think there's probably a third of the hands went up, yeah, more sure. than what I thought. You know, there's a lot, especially being that far east. You know, obviously there's some folks from Iowa there west of mississippi but anyone i talk to west of mississippi right now is very concerned i went to kansas parts of nebraska you know what impact could it have a dry spring is exactly what you want as a grower of course you want to have enough moisture to get up and going uh, a dry spring is what you want but if you don't have subsoil moisture you're just super concerned about uh what, what's going to happen between then and pollination a lot of times if you have a little bit of reserve there if you get the uh, plants established rooted down uh, you can withstand some heat some dryness uh, but uh People in Iowa, especially right now that I'm talking to, are super concerned to the point that they don't want to sell anything old or new uh, because they're, you know, convinced that uh, if this thing doesn't turn and turn quickly, that you could be looking at a, a rapid change as far as the corn market's concerned. So I do think that it's a serious enough issue. Uh, people talking about coming off El Nino and the tendency for Western Corn Belt to be dry. If you go into that dry, Joe, I don't know. I mean, 
uh, I'd be concerned too if, if I was in that part of the world. Where I'm at in central Illinois, I know we're not showing up. It's just south of us as far as drop monitor goes, but uh, it's dry here. I mean, that, that's all there is to it. You could, you could be planting corn today. I mean, obviously it's February, so we're not going to. I've heard of people actually getting out in the field and planting a few beans just for fun, uh, just to see how that goes. I mean, but you could work ground and plant today. It, it's dry. One of the questions that we had on the uh, panel after they taped, something along the lines of like, uh, if there's a drought this summer, are the fund traders and speculators going to be weary to buy uh, the markets because of what happened last year? Because last year we had a drought and we still ended up with big crops. My answer, in my opinion, is was if there's a drought in June, they're absolutely still going to bid up the market. Because last year, as, as good as things turned out, if those two or three rains didn't fall across the Corn Belt in July, it would have been a disaster and corn would have kept going and it would have ran to seven or eight dollars. So my opinion was that, yeah, if there is a drought, I think they're still going to react as as they always have. And, and that's just an opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think they react as well. I understand what people are saying. You know, this last year, uh, a lot of producers said this is a catastrophe. You know, we did get well-timed rain events, though. I mean, literally, I had two good rain events in the summer, but they happened to be three to five inches right before pollination and right before grain fill. I mean, uh, couldn't have been a better timing. Uh, obviously, we got hurt somewhat. Our our yields were good, but they were not as good as what they were in 2022. Uh, 22 was a great year for us. 23 was a good year, but obviously we went through a lot of stress. But again, these genetics are capable of, of withstanding that. I think the funds have to understand, though, that if you don't get that bailout rain, as you said, uh, it could have been a catastrophe of a crop. Uh, you could have yeah. seen, you know, I mean, you're just in time delivery world. Yes, we've got quite a bit of stocks right now. But how much stocks can you eat through uh, with the kind of demand, for instance, that the USDA is building into this? I mean, yes, it may not come to pass, but I mean, yeah, you can see, again, another pendulum shift. So I've been telling folks, hey, yes, I'm not super friendly here. But that doesn't mean I go hog wild on a rally without some sort of a flexibility in my plan because, well, that could be catastrophic if you're one of them that doesn't actually raise the crop, you know, and you, and you get into a situation where the corn market goes up two bucks. Yeah, droughts droughts still matter, uh, despite what happened last year, I think. On Thursday, John Deere announced that their net income for fiscal 2024 is expected to range between $7.5 billion and $7.75 billion. The estimate is down from the company's initial projection, which ranged between $7.75 billion and $8.25 billion. The company's shares plunged following the news, declining 5.5%, the most since November of last year. Sales in the U.S. are expected to decline this year as a result of farm income dropping to its lowest level since 2020. Sales in Europe are anticipated to drop between 10 to 15% this year due to declining agriculture demand. This should not be surprising, correct? No, not surprising at all. You know, when you see a sort of shift in income levels, I mean, the bottom line is 23 is going to have been a pretty rough year. Now, 21, 22 are fantastic. Still a lot of cash in people's pockets in the fall of 23. But uh, I think people understand, they notice uh, the local dealer that I, I, I've worked with, you know, told me that they traded for one combine this year, uh, one brand new combine. That's very abnormal for them. Uh, the cost to do so was going to be uh, quite a bit more than what it was the previous year. 
you know, and so, you know, essentially, I think that uh, new equipment purchases have kind of slowed to a crawl for a lot of people and for decent reason. There's no, there's no question. Now, I think where it really gets complicated, Joe, is that, like I said, there was cash in your pocket going into the uh, winter of 23 uh, from a tax implication standpoint. That probably helps sales a heck of a lot more than what you might be looking at uh, December of 24. And so, you know, I think that projections are probably going to be a, a little bit, uh, should be very cautious right now, uh, because uh, this this could be a, a lot worse a year from now than what it is right now. If, you know, Brazil has a decent crop and then we, we have 92 million acres and, you know, 180 yield. So, uh, yeah, I think that uh, this is no surprise and I think it could get worse yet. We had a rally in the cattle market yesterday. Uh, somewhat. Feeders ranged from eighty-two cents lower to eighty-seven cents higher. Live cattle were seventeen cents higher to a buck sixty higher. Box beef had a solid day yesterday. Choice ended the day at two ninety-five thirty. That was up a buck thirty. Select ended the day at two eighty-seven ninety-nine. That was up three dollars and ninety-seven cents. The bull story still alive, Matt. I think the bull story is alive, but what I'm telling my guys, you know, you've gotten quite a recovery rally here. Twenty bucks off the lows. You know, you get into the 190s, uh, if you get into the 190s, and I kind of feel like we're going to, boy, I think it's probably time to start putting your uh, hedging of risk hat back on instead of your speculation uh, on a Texas hedge higher because uh, I, I think we need to quit trying to get too cute with the market. I think you could make new highs in 24. I really do, uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to make that my marketing plan. I'll tell you that. Mackenzie, is there any evidence in your neighborhood that we're seeing a rebuild? Absolutely not. Nope. Um, nope. profitability isn't there. And, uh, there's just, there's still so much volatility in the market. People just don't, they're not ready to get there yet. Yeah. Okay. Outside markets on Friday, guys, uh, us dollars, about flat stocks are mixed bonds off a little bit. Crude oil, 73 cents lower in the March WTI at 77 30. Have a great weekend, everybody. We are off Monday. It's president's day. Markets are closed. I uh, will talk to you on Tuesday.